0: Welcome to the CrowdChurch podcast. We are an online church and you are listening to the service that we also live stream on YouTube and Facebook. For more information about Crowd Church, please visit our website at www.crowd.church. Good afternoon and welcome to Crowd Online Church. I am sat beside the beautiful Frank Hargreaves. Frank, how are you doing? Good, thank you. Good to have you. Thanks for joining. This is your first time ever hosting here at Crowd Church? How are we feeling? Good, thanks. Excited. Good. Good. Normally people just say nervous, but if you're, let's go with excited, that's a much better proposition, right? Definitely. <laughs> So welcome to, uh, I was going to say Frontline Church, no, welcome to Crowd Church. Uh, we are an online church, we're here on a quest to find out about this meaningful life that Jesus has for us, whether it's your first time here with us, uh, whether it's your first time actually investigating anything with the Christian faith, or whether you've been around for a little while, like Matt Crewe, who is fervent in the comments, a warm welcome to you, you are welcome here. It's great to see you. Great that you are here. Do say hi in the comments. Uh, Let us know where you are watching from. It's always great to connect with people around the world. So we are actually, I have to point out, Frank, that we are actually live live, right? As in, this is not, this is not on live live, which is what we were doing over August. We were, we were doing the non-live live live streams because uh, we took some time out. But actually today we are really, really live so we will respond to your comments. It's good to be back actually. Frank, have you had a good summer?
1: I've had a great summer, thank you. Yes, very
0: nice. Good, good. Good. Yeah, I managed to take the whole of August off so I too had a good summer. I feel very refreshed but excited to be here. Glad to be back with you here at Crowd Church. Now Frank, do you remember uh, what is happening today? I do. Go ahead and tell the good folks what's going on.
1: Okay so we've been uh, you've been asking looking at the big questions of life and trying to find out what the Bible says about them and particularly you've been looking in the last two sessions on what the Bible says about mental health so last week we had a personal account of how uh, someone who'd become very depressed how she dealt with that and how she felt God supported her through it mm-hmm. and today uh, the lovely Lisa Orange is going to talk specifically about what the
0: Bible says about mental health, I believe. Yeah, good, yeah well, well, I couldn't have put it any better myself. Uh, uh, it's uh, very true. We are talking today about mental health, all things about mental health and Frank, it is fair to say uh, that uh, you, well, let's tell everybody why you're here. You are um, a member of the church. You are also a retired GP uh, yes. you've done you you look like you've done about five or ten years service before you retired but I assume it's a little bit more than that yeah 35 Th- <laughs> <laughs> Wow uh, so 35 years as a GP you've retired but you're also along with your wife the beautiful Amanda Hargreaves, you are both trained counselors and help people with their mental health on a fairly regular basis so yes. We thought who better to get and come and help us with crowd talk about this topic than your good self so thank you for being here very much appreciated uh and we are in your hands uh, as the expert uh, in all of this so well, no pressure I hope I so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm sure you will i'm sure you will uh so yeah we are going to be talking about mental health what does the bible say about mental health after lisa's talk we are going to have a very brief time of worship and reflection join in if you can then after that Frank and I will be back to answer your questions about mental health we've had a stack come in already Uh, we've got lots of questions based on Esther's talk from last week uh, and obviously we are going to draw on Frank's wisdom as well so just looking at the comments here uh, Nicola says I'm watching from my hot tub in the shire (laughs) if you're going to watch church online and get involved do it from a hot tub uh, why? Why would you not? Right. Uh, so, Matt, crew, do you both mean to turn up in white? Is this a wedding? No, it's just the way it is, Matt. I didn't. It just we didn't plan it. Just uh, although your top's not white, it's more of a grey, I think. Yes, grey. Right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, so good. Let's get that all out of the way, right? We, without further ado, we'll jump straight into Lisa's talk. As Frank has said, we have been talking or talking, been working our way through what does the Bible say about a series of topics we've been asking what does the bible say about this and that and today it is all about mental health so here is the phenomenal lisa orange and then frank and i will be back after the worship with conversation street grab your notebooks grab your pens grab your cup of teas here's lisa (music)
2: And I'm really excited to be answering this question today. Uh, I've worked in mental health in lots of different ways for most of my working life. I'm currently a therapist, so this is a subject that's very close to my heart, and I think the Bible has a lot to say about it. So what do we mean when we talk about mental health? Mental health is about our whole being, I think, not just our minds. It is about our thoughts but it's also about our emotions and our bodies and how they all interconnect and influence one another. So our thoughts can impact on our feelings and our feelings can impact on our thoughts and our brain and nervous system responds. So if someone is having anxious thoughts and feelings or feels unsafe in a situation, then the body is also responding by either tensing up or having shallow breathing sweating, stomach churning, and so that just gives a sense of how our whole beings are involved when it comes to mental health. So what is the difference then between good mental health and not so good mental health? How, how do we work that out? We might describe good mental health as thinking and feeling good about ourselves and the world and being in the world. Uh, we might think of it as feeling happy and content having positive relationships in our lives we might see poor mental health as the opposite of that so that might be not feeling good about ourselves low self-esteem um maybe uh, feeling sad or having low mood or being anxious or feeling isolated now In reality, mental health is more nuanced than that, more complex because good mental health isn't about feeling good or happy about ourselves all the time. The reality is that we can have a whole range of feelings in any one day. That's normal because each day has different challenges and each day we can feel frustrated or frustrated with ourselves, frustrated with other people. But it's when low mood, anxious feelings, negative thoughts about ourselves and the world become persistent and severe, that's when it can become extremely disabling and distressing and impactful on a person's life. But it's also the case that uh, for many people, there's a functioning with underlying depression and anxiety, so on the surface, Um, looking okay and and living life, but inside really struggling with these difficult feelings. So actually mental health difficulties impact people in different ways to many varying degrees. One way we can think about and understand mental health is through um, terms of diagnosis like depression and anxiety, which I've already mentioned. Uh, but we might also think about uh, schizophrenia or bipolar, or we might think about things like addiction and self-harm. These diagnosis and definitions, they can be really important for for people for understanding and validating what is being experienced and for ensuring that the right help and support is in place. However, they can also uh, bring discrimination and misunderstanding and stigma, which isn't good. And actually, what is behind each diagnosis and behaviour are stories and experiences that people have been through, and usually very difficult experiences. And we might use then the word trauma to describe some of these. A trauma being a very stressful, distressing or frightening experience. In my work, I'm always really interested to hear and understand people's stories, these stories and experiences, whether it's about childhood and growing up uh, or something more recent. Our childhood experiences matter because this is where our self-esteem is formed, it's how we form how we feel about ourselves and the world around us. So if there is trauma or a lack of love and emotional support or both of those things, then the child can develop negative beliefs and feelings about themselves and often the world really doesn't seem or feel like a safe place to be. How we think and feel about ourselves and the world is key to our mental well-being because it impacts on everything we do uh, and how we approach life and how we feel in the world and around other people. So we can see how childhood trauma and poor attachment to caregivers can have a lasting effect on a person's mental health right through into adulthood. And so this is really important for for us to understand when we are thinking about mental health. And then there's difficult experiences and traumas that we experience as adults. They impact on our mental health too. And life has many challenges bereavement relationship problems illness isolation and loneliness financial difficulties oppression discrimination injustice violence and then there's big life changes like a change of job or getting married or going through the menopause there's also external factors that um bring pressure into our lives like worry like social uh, worry about worry about climate change social media this all has an impact on our mental health and we've just been through a global pandemic we're not we're not fully through it yet and the world health organization says that this has caused a 25% increase globally of anxiety and depressive depression one thing that's clear is that relationships matter when it comes to mental health difficult relationships can be a source of harm and impact negatively on mental health and healthy and supportive and loving relationships can bring healing and Research is actually showing that the stronger a person's social attachments and support, the less likely it is for trauma experiences to have a lasting impact. So, what does the Bible have to say about all of this? As you might expect, the Bible doesn't use the phrase mental health, but it does talk about heart, soul, spirit and mind. Each of these have unique but overlapping meanings and as a whole refer to our inner selves, our whole selves and our emotions and our thinking. The Bible doesn't specifically talk about mental illness either but it does talk about being broken hearted and sorrow and despair of the heart, anguish and despair of the soul. It mentions suffering, mourning, burdens, sadness, fear, cares worries and anxious thoughts, so the Bible is full of and reflects the reality of human pain and suffering and mental health difficulties, if you want to put it that way, in its words and tells stories that speak of this too. And in the life of Jesus we see see it, we see him rejected and abandoned and misunderstood and we see him in anguish as he prepares to suffer and die. It feels like there's such a lot that I could say about the Bible and mental health that I don't have time to cover it all here. Um, So I'm going to focus on a few areas. I'm going to focus on what the Bible tells us about who God is, how he feels about us and how he responds to our mental health. And I'm going to talk about how we can connect with God when we are struggling with our mental health. And finally, I'm going to talk about what the Bible says about the importance of relationships and community to support our mental health. So, firstly, how does God feel about us and and how does he want to engage with us in our mental health? We are deeply loved by God and the Bible is like a megaphone for God's love, persistently telling us about his unfailing love and compassion. His love is described as being so deep, high and long that we can never fully understand it. And then through Jesus, we are shown this love in how he lived and died for us so that we can have eternal life. This isn't a wishy-washy love. It has grit and substance and it is an unconditional love. The Bible also tells us that we are deeply known and seen by God. He is not distant and distracted and cold. He's close to us, caring about every detail of our lives. In the book of Luke, Jesus says, What is the value of your soul to God? Could your worth be defined by any amount of money? God doesn't abandon or forget even the small sparrow he has made. How then could he forget or abandon you? What about the seemingly minor issues of your life? Do they matter to God? Of course they do. You never need to worry, for you are more valuable to God than anything else in the world. So God loves us, and we are valuable to him. And every detail of our lives matter. And this is important because, as I've talked about earlier, we, what we need when we're growing up is to know, and, and throughout our lives actually, is to know and feel that we are loved, and we are connected with, and we are seen and understood and accepted for who we are. And we need that to form a healthy view of ourselves and the world and feel good about ourselves. Also, I recently did two bits of online training. One was about suicide, working with suicide, and another was about working with shame. And interestingly, in each one of those, the presenters talked about love, along with compassion and connection, being at the heart of what people needed and need. Child psychiatrist Edward Hallowell says, connection in the form of unconditional love is the single most important root of childhood happiness. God loves us in this way. And even if we haven't experienced a deep and unconditional love, God loves us in this way and wants us to experience the height and depth and breadth. The Bible also shows us that, and tells us that God cares about our mental well-being. And here's just a few ex- examples of how what the Bible says about that. It says that, he, that God is close to the broken-hearted, that he cares about the anguish of our soul. He comforts us like a mother comforts a child and is a source of hope that fills us with joy and peace. It also says that he wants to give us rest. When it comes to our worries and our anxieties, we're invited to cast them on him. And I see that as like throwing them onto him, throwing them away from us and onto him because he cares for us. We're told that we can give these worries to him in prayer and he will give us a peace of heart and mind that is beyond our understanding. Now, I believe this and I've experienced it for myself. I've prayed about my worries and I've felt peace. I've felt comforted by God in difficult times of my life. And there have also been times when I have felt persistently anxious, even when i prayed and the anxiety has stayed, or God has felt distant and silent from me. And when I lost my dad about three and a half years ago, it was very suddenly, I experienced a mix of these things. I experienced God's comfort and closeness and I experienced times when he felt really distant and I questioned him and I wrestled with him about what had happened and I grieved for my dad. And I think sometimes we can feel that it's not okay as Christians to be anxious or sad for too long. And the Bible does encourage us to focus on praise and to praise God in difficult times and to be thankful in all circumstances and there's a lot of good reason for that. One being that worship, praise, thankfulness they are good for our mental health. When we praise God we are speaking to our souls and reminding ourselves of who God is. That he is good, he is for us, he is with us. Even if we don't feel like it we can trust him research also shows that thankfulness positively changes our brains, positively impacts our brains. So there's something really important about that. But however, that's not the whole picture, because the Bible also talks a lot about something called lamenting. And we see it throughout the Bible, but particularly in the Psalms. And the Psalms are this beautiful collection of songs and uh, or poems that include worship and praise and declaration of who God is but over a third of them are of lament and here's an example of of one from Psalm 69 deeper and deeper I sink into the mire I can't find a foothold I'm deep in water and the floods overwhelm me I'm exhausted from crying for help my throat is parched my eyes are swollen with weeping waiting for God to help me and when we read the Psalms of Lament, we can see the writers express and feel and connect with their pain and emotions and doubts and feel fears and despair. They don't hide or pretend or cover up these raw feelings from God. And psychologically, um, we know that connecting with and expressing these gut-level feelings has value bottling them up isn't good for us and they can end up coming out in other ways that are often harmful to ourselves but lamenting is about this but it's also more than that it's about moving towards God uh, when sorrow tempts us to run away from him. Mark Vrogop talks about this in a book that he's written about all about lamenting. And he says lament can be defined as a loud cry, a howl or a passionate expression of grief. However, in, lament, in the Bible, lament is more than sorrow or talking about sadness. It is more than walking through the stages of grief. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. We know the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive, and yet we still experience pain and sorrow. Lament is the language for living between the poles of a hard life and trusting in God's sovereignty. In the Psalms, we see what is In the Psalms we see what is a moving ebb and flow of anguish, praise, questioning, thankfulness, anger, despair, and declaration of who God is. And God wants us to be real with him. He wants us to draw close to him and find comfort in our difficulties, in our mental struggles. He cares for us. Finally, I want to come back to the importance of supportive relationships of community and church. In my own experience of loss and grief, we were supported um, so well by family and friends in and outside of the church. People came alongside us, they were with us in our grief, not explaining it away or spiritualizing it but simply bringing comfort and practical support and care and this made all the difference. This helped us through a very difficult time and God can bring and does bring direct comfort and healing and the Bible tells us that he often brings it supernaturally and suddenly. But the Bible also shows us that God intends for comfort and healing to come through human relationships, to come through each other. And we see this um, talked about in 2 Corinthians 1, where it says, He, that's God, always comes alongside us to comfort us in every suffering so that we can come alongside those who who are in any painful trial. We can bring them this same comfort that God has poured out upon us. And in Romans 12, it says, love each other with genuine affection. And then it goes on to say, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So this comes back again to the importance of love and connection. We need other people in our lives. We need relationship and to know we matter. The church has a valuable role in addressing loneliness, offering reparative and healing relationships being interested in people's stories and providing space to be honest about feelings without judgment, a place to lament. The church does this well through social action and through simply um, loving one another and being inclusive as we live our lives. What I'm talking about here isn't about the church or Christians taking on the role of mental health professionals. Coming about coming alongside that and supporting that if someone has a serious physical illness for example they get appropriate medical treatment from qualified professionals but that person still needs love community prayer for healing and spiritual support and it's the same with mental health if mental health difficulties are significantly significantly affecting your life yes speak to a friend or family member seek spiritual help and prayer Lament and get professional help, whether that's going to your GP or finding a therapist or a counsellor and getting support from a mental health char- charity. Getting help for any kind of mental health difficulty is not weak or failing at being a Christian. I want to finish by talking about another way we can connect with God when we're struggling with our mental health, and that's. Through a meditation and stiller kind of prayer. A waiting on God and receiving from him. There are some great apps out there and YouTube videos available that can guide you through meditations or prayers. Specifically around stress. Some of them specifically around stress and anxiety. And I use a daily prayer app that has a simple regular prayer that I like to prayer each day, pray each day that helps me. And I'd just like to invite you to join me in praying it as as I finish. Slowing my breathing and relinquishing my worries, I open my hands to pray. Come Holy Spirit to my mind, I receive your comfort. Come Holy Spirit to my heart, I receive your peace. Come Holy Spirit to my soul. I receive the Father's love for me. Amen.
0: you go. What does the Bible say about mental health? Lisa, thank you so much for doing that talk and prepping that talk. Not a particularly easy topic to talk about because there's so much to talk about. And that was the impression that I got from what Lisa was saying there, Frank, that actually there's so many routes and ways that you can go down uh, when looking at the Bible and mental health because it's such a massive topic now, right? Absolutely.
1: It was interesting, isn't it? I think... The 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 thing that really strikes me is is that need to be loved and need to be accepted and uh, the need for connection and Bible's mm. full of that
0: <laughs> yeah kind of kind of deals with that on a regular basis that issue but um, I mean one of the things uh, Frank I- I've been around a few years right and when I grew up uh, in the eighties no one talked about mental health. Mental, I, I don't ever remember a conversation where someone talked about mental health uh, or mental illness and it seems to be something that over the last few years has become more and more to the forefront uh, am I making that up or is that actually the case that it's becoming a bigger and bigger topic now
1: well like all of these things it's always been there but society just hasn't talked about it and I think I think social media means that these things are much more accessible and people with blogs and things mean that it makes it more acceptable to talk about what's the truth mm-hmm. and what's really going on in people's lives, doesn't it? So, and, and I think as humans, we feel, you know, on the one hand, social media says, well, you've got to have this life and, you know, Facebook and other platforms, people only post what's wonderful. Um, and it's much more unusual for them to post about the reality of having had a really tough day with a child who's sick, who's not slept, and you feeling like you're not sure how much you can continue with a, with, with the life as it is at that, in that intensity. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think because it is spoken about more, people acknowledge more that actually, yeah, we're all the same and we all have periods where these things really bother us and for some people, they're not as well they don't have the same resources for all sorts of reasons, and it and it can become very
0: difficult. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And uh, like you say, it's always been there. It's just now we're, we're a little bit more willing to talk about it. Uh, mm. And why do you think that is? Why why do you think people are prepared to talk about something that for years was held in stigma, and, and especially in the church, right? Mm. You you would you wouldn't talk about this stuff in church. Um, because there was a stigma attached to it, there was a stigma. I don't I mean in some respects there may still be in taking, say, antidepressants. Um, so, what what do you think has changed?
1: Um, I think there's more there's more openness and more a willingness to be more honest. Clearly, on any social media platform, that varies, doesn't it? So. Some people are massively dishonest. But I think there's some really brave people, aren't there? Um, Mm. The lady who was horribly disfigured by um, an acid attack and her willingness to um, come on and talk about it and talk about her journey and those kind of things. Um, And I think, um, was it the footballer whose wife died and um, he talked about his grief and his sadness? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then more recently there's been all the stuff about child abuse particularly among the footballers. And mm. it's I think it takes huge courage to do that, but then when it's out there, it allows other to be more open, doesn't it? Yeah. And you know, it's not it's not that it's a foreign experience to most of us. I mean obviously the more severe things are, but you know, we all mm. have days when or periods in our lives when it it's really tough and it, it feels like it sucks and we wonder how we're gonna get through, don't we?
0: Mm. Yeah, no, a fair play. I like that. You know, by talking about it, we not only help ourselves, but we're kind of leading the way for other people, making it possible for them to talk uh, and be more honest and open, which is uh, which is which is great, actually. And being more honest with ourselves about these things. Lisa started off the talk with a really interesting question: um, What does good mental health look like? How would you answer that? Um, I think it's uh, to me, it's about balance
1: and it's about developing resilience. So we all have time, you know, you were just sharing, you've had six hours on in a car on the motorway. I mean, I, you know, that can be good, but sometimes it can be really stressful. We all have days where life can be really tough, don't we? You mm. know, um, part of life is really difficult, isn't it? Because we all know we're gonna lose the people we love. We're gonna die. And, you know, how do we, how do we cope with those things? So I think, For me, good mental health is, really as Lisa said, it's about having access to good relationships, it's about having good physical health, often good physical health helps you to maintain good mental health, it's probably about good self-awareness as well, I think, about being aware of who you are, how you tick, um, the things that perhaps you're not so good at, the things where your strengths are, and learning how to deal with those without feeling, An overwhelming sense of failure or an overwhelming Mm. sense of guilt when things go wrong. Accepting that there are things we can change. Accepting that there are other things that are a lot more difficult to change, but that we still have hope. I think loss of hope, um, a life without hope is a life that leads to depression. That's kind of what I think. So we need Mm. hope.
0: We need and we need resilience. Mm. Hope and resilience are the sort of two power twins, aren't they? Really. Yeah. And it's interesting actually because the most resilient people that i know tend to be the ones that have gone through the hardest times it's it's yeah. it's like the the difficulties the trials or the, maybe even the traumas they create a resilience don't they and um yeah. and i was i was reading uh, over august uh, during my sabbatical uh, which was all part of my mental health routine let me tell you um I was reading the book by Viktor Frankl called Man's Search for Meaning. I don't know if you've ever come across this book. I've uh, heard of it. Really. Yeah, he's, he was a, 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 in the uh, concentration camps uh, run by the Nazis. He was a Jew. Uh, he was a Jewish guy. And he was a psychologist. And he, he basically summarized the whole book. It was in the title, man needs meaning. We need, do you know what I mean? And it's this, when we don't have that meaning, when we don't have that hope, that life becomes very complex. But with that meaning, with that hope, human beings can bear the most incredible things and the most, what, most horrendous things, to be fair. And that was sort of what you came away with from that, you know, mm. from that book, that I might be, I might not be able to change external circumstances, but I can change internal thought patterns and processes and so on and so forth. Um, so it's interesting that you talk about resilience and hope uh, together. I guess, as a GP, right, you would have had many people coming through your... Uh, a GP, in case, uh, dear viewer, you don't know what that is, a general practitioner, a doctor, basically, is what we call them here in the UK. Um, You'd have had many patients come, uh, and I guess more and more patients, uh, towards the latter end of your years, talking about mental health, right? Mm.
1: Yes, probably. I mean, I, people... Um, Graduate towards those who they uh, feel will get the service they're looking for, and you know they knew that I had an interest in mental health, so I probably maybe saw more than uh, than some of my colleagues. But yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, just remind me of where you were going with that.
0: Well, I was kind of curious. The reason I was asking you this question, Frank, is obviously you've seen a lot of people uh, in your surgery. I know the answer to this question is obvious, but I feel like I want to ask it. Which is, um, is are Christians immune from mental health issues?
1: Yeah, I I think it's a really good question because those who don't know God um, say, you know, it's kind of like hands on hips. Well, call yourself a Christian. You should, you know, if God does all of this. You should be, you should, you shouldn't be going through this. And certainly, as we as we alluded to historically. Um, often as Christians, we'd almost feel a sense of shame if we were struggling uh, with uh, low mood, uh, with fatigue, with sadness, with guilt and shame. And yet, it's evident, isn't it, from the Psalms that it's totally a human experience. So, no, I don't think Christians are exempt from mental health issues. And In some ways, I think we might even be more vulnerable because God calls us to an accountable relationship. So, you know, mm. when we get it wrong, we, we get it wrong. And we when, we when we self-examine and do an examination of conscience, we're aware of our own failings. But the hope for me as a Christian is, is that God never lets me go. And his starting point is, I can't earn my way into his presence. He mm. first loved me. You know, he just loves me. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so is his forgiveness, so is his love for me. As far as east is from the west, so is his forgiveness of sin. And I think um, forgiveness is a wonderful thing. We we all all need to be forgiven. Mm. And one of the things that keeps me close to God is that constant sense of if I confess, if I tell my dad, I'm sorry, my father, God, I'm sorry, he forgives me, what a Mm. wonderful thing. And not only does he forgive me, he promises to transform me and to change me and give me the power to be different so I'm not stuck in groundhog day he's yeah. constantly changing me and I think that's a wonderful thing
0: yeah I agree and it's one of the things that came through uh, Esther's story last week when we talked about dealing with depression and Esther shared her story with depression and it was one of the things that sort of came through actually was this um was this hope that ultimately things would change and things would be different um that God didn't create her in that way, but in that she learned to trust God and developed a trust in God that has led to um, a, a change in a, for the better of her mental health, right? Um, which I find uh, absolutely fascinating. And it reminded me of that scripture. is a scripture in Isaiah uh, 26, verse 3. It says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. That's a wonderful promise, isn't it? But it's um, this is where resilience comes in because it's not always it's not always something you, you, that just comes. You kind of have to fight for that uh, and, and be in for the long haul. I don't know if that's what you found, Frank, but that's certainly what I found.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's interesting, isn't it? As we, you know, we, there's so many books out there, and as you dip into them, I, you realise that some of the basis of how we are as Christians. It's written in with good mental health. So, for instance, um, there's a guy called Dan Siegel who's uh, written all sorts of books about adolescence and how to manage with adolescence. And part of keeping well, both for adolescents but for us as humans, he says it's really important to have some time that's your own, some self, some time for self reflection. You just think, well, yes, you know, what are we called to do as Christians? We're we're called to connect with God and to take time out mm. of our day, and then if you think of how much of what St. Paul says, he spends a lot of time saying, look, don't dwell on things. Um, Do acknowledge it, but don't dwell on it. But put on God's truth. Put Mm. on God's grace. Put on God's forgiveness. And you think, well, okay, there's the first CBT therapist, obviously. (laughs) Completely into it. Um, You know, and and it's lovely when you get those kind of revelations of... uh, God's so far ahead of us, isn't he? (laughs) Yeah, he
0: is. Now, we were having a conversation about this, because uh, one of the the verses that's meant a lot to me over the years is, um, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right, Romans 12.1. And transformation then starts with change of thinking, right, it it doesn't start with changing behaviour, it doesn't start with uh, changing how I feel, it starts with changing how I think. Uh, and uh, I, I was remarking about how I read a book that basically, in essence, said the same thing, like it was some huge revelation, you know, of the modern 21st century, that actually we have to focus on thinking before we focus on emotions, before we focus on behaviours. And you're like, well, yeah, it's written there, but 2,000 years ago, transformation starts when we... Although, really
1: although I would say, I'd, I'd beg to differ slightly, because I think actually God deals with the heart first. Oh, okay. That's, yeah, so... I'm there, but it, you know, God deals with the heart first, doesn't He? He mm. talks about love, He talks about acceptance, He talks about forgiveness, and when those things are in place, we're then in a position because, if you like, our heart is healed. Mm. We're in a position then to focus on the putting on that truth and living yeah. that truth and and being there. And certainly, again, just talking about how science backs up what the Bible already knew. Um. In terms of how the brain is structured, often emotion will trump thought. So, you know, you can, for this, we're not, I'm not alone being in, in that things will happen and I'll make a, a habitual mistake or habitual emotional response and think, oh, why does this always happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, the root of that usually is something that's quite emotional from when I was quite young, you know, when I was little. And, um, so the root is definitely there. But when I get that sorted out, I'm then more able then to kind of, you know, in my higher brain to look at it and think, oh, well, okay, there I am behaving like a three-year-old when actually I'm 63 so or 64 now. So uh, maybe I ought to try and behave like a grown-up. And <laughs> on a good day, that works.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on a good day, that works. Uh, Dave uh, here in the comments says, very good point, Frank. So I think he uh, he likes what you said there. He also said, I think we would be shocked if we knew how many folks here in the UK alone uh, have committed suicide during the time of this podcast or live stream. Uh, God help us, help us to help others. And that's an interesting point, isn't it? That actually is uh, something that Lisa said about the church is actually this is a place for you if you if you struggle with mental health. And so as a Christian, I have to be aware of my mental health, but I also have to be aware of the mental health of others right and get involved in that. Would that be a fair comment?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And often it's the very simple things that make a difference to people. Talking about heart versus thought, you know, someone comes up and saying, how are you? It's Mm. so easy, isn't it, in church, just to speak to the people you know. But if you're alone in church and someone newcomer comes and just smiles and says, hello, how are you? Uh, How are you doing? Uh, With a, a genuine sense of empathy and compassion, it can make all the difference. Because you start to feel that connection, mm. and as Lisa said, we need connection, don't we? Mm. You no know, so much about what we what we see on social media. It's about connection, but actually, social media only connects you so much, doesn't it? It's the it's, yeah. being in the same space is very powerful, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it is. The simple things like a hug makes a massive difference, doesn't it? And yeah. The, the, yeah. the hand on a shoulder, and and, and yeah. just saying, "Yeah, actually, how are you?" Uh, is yeah. an important thing. And i think as christians uh, in the modern world it becomes very easy to become quite inward focused right like i've got to think about my mental health i've got to think about um how my emotional health how i'm responding might and so and it becomes all about and it, it's even true in our language isn't it that we talk a lot about god loving me whereas scripture talks a lot about god loving the world uh, and sometimes it, I, I I don't know about you. I find it quite hard to take these off and and sort of look out towards others. Mm.
1: Yeah, and and I think it it comes back to the you know what do we need for good mental health? And part of that good mental health is having space and time for inner reflection and inner quiet. And I think it's often during those times you you get that sense of perspective, isn't it? Where you think mm. mm-hmm, actually I, this is to me. I need to be I need to be taking my eyes off my navel and uh, looking outwards a bit more and and we know don't we that that very often when we when we connect with others when we do things with others for others help others it makes us feel very different doesn't it yeah. and yeah. when we're isolated and alone and we're only thinking of ourselves it's not good and and we know that that all the psychologists say you know too much introspection um, is bad for us, so we need to be outwardly focused. And you know, how many times have we had a scenario where we started to get really low and miserable, and someone we've decided maybe to go for a run, or someone's phoned up and said, "Come on, let's go for a walk." And just doing something—the act of doing something different—it alters our perspective. It lifts us out, and it get, it allows us to break that entrenched thought and see the world in a in a in a larger way, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, it does very much so. Very much so. Um, can I turn the tables slightly uh, turn the tables maybe change text slightly one of the things that Lisa mentioned and Esther talked about it um, and I just want to revisit it slightly but it is quite quite an in-depth topic Um, and so parents if you have young kids watching this do do be warned Um, they both mentioned this idea of suicide suicidal thoughts Um, and Esther struggled with those um, in her story, to the point where she had to check herself into A and E because she was scared of what was what was actually going to be the outcome. Um, any help, any thoughts from uh, your experience, from Scripture, from people that may be watching who are involved in that? I just want to I just want to connect with that a little bit if I can.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, yes. I I think it's a really big topic, and and I would not pretend to have all the answers, but I think a starting place. Fear plays a big part, doesn't it, in oft- often with people. And a starting point, I think, is that actually it's not unnatural and it's not unreasonable to think about, well, do I still want to be here? Is mm-hmm. this a world that I want to live in? And, and you know, I could say to you, when you've had some very bleak times, I I would be very surprised if you've not had the conversation with yourself about is it worth going on? Do I really want to live like this? Is this mm-hmm. what I want? And. I, and so i think my starting point would be to say to people look you're not alone all of us at various times will have thoughts that will they might not be it might it might not be that you're actively suicidal but we have thoughts about well is it worth it what's the point why should i go on mm. so first of all i don't think that's unreasonable and i don't think it's a sign that you're about to lose it for good that's mm. the first and i think um I think the other thing is um, Esther went and sought help, so I think if it's something that you're, you're struggling to break out of, I think it's really important to get some help. And it's a bit like I said, you know, we, um, in, a, in a, lesser, a lesser setting of that, might be you go for a run or you go, you go and do something, but often when, you, when people become suicidal, they become trapped in their own thought patterns and they can't see beyond and sometimes just breaking out of that and talking with others and being with others can make a massive difference. Mm. Um, And obviously I think the other thing about suicide is sometimes it's made much worse if we're very tired, if we're not very well, if we've had a lot of alcohol, uh, for those who use drugs, if they've they've used drugs. So often that, if you like, the degree of self-control slips Mm. when those other things start to play a part. So I think I would always say for anyone who's struggling with mood, be very careful about using alcohol, using weed, um, and other mind-altering substances when you're vulnerable, because it, it usually means it leads to more vulnerability, not less vulnerability. It has it has the opposite effect, really.
0: Yeah, no, that's a fair comment. And you talked about getting help. Where would people go to to get help? I mean, you mentioned a few resources earlier. Do you just want to share those out?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think there's the obvious things, like if you have a family that is a functioning family, you call on those who you love. And, you know, it was fantastic in Esther's story, wasn't it? She phoned her mum and dad, and they left the house at 2 o'clock in the morning and came. And, you know, I'm a parent, you're a parent, of course we would do that. So sometimes we forget to do the obvious. Call those people who you love. Mm. call the friends who care you know we all have most of us have soulmate friends a soulmate friend is the one who's with you through thick and thin call them they would mm. be devastated if, if if they if they knew you were suffering and you hadn't you couldn't yeah. help so i think remember to do the obvious um there's uh samaritans obviously there's um a men one that's particularly for uh, men in liverpool and it's just the name's escape me calm uh, calm yes and that's particularly for men. Um, there's uh, a resource called um, um, uh, Sanctuary Mental Health, mm-hmm. which is uh, specifically it's, it's to help people in the in the church who might be having mental health problems. Um, so I, th- there are actually lots of resources out there. And, and you know, people um, get cross and frustrated with Google, but if you put, you know, even if you Google suicide, getting help, feeling suicidal, Google would come up with a whole pile of resources that, mm. that would be available. And I think that's the key, is you, I think you've absolutely nailed it on the head. If you're hitting a really rough, a really low point, get help. Mm. Seek help, do the obvious. And that's often we forget to do it, don't we? We kind of have an inner conversation, so we say, well, no one will be able to help me, I'm not worth it, what's the point, why should I bother, it, nothing will make any difference. And of course, none of that is true, it all makes a difference. And although we can think about suicide, I don't believe suicide is ever the right answer.
0: No. No, I totally agree. Um and there's always there's always like coming back to what you said earlier, there's always hope. Uh yes. and there's there's always that hope. Um and it's the, the central tenet of the Christian faith. There is a hope, an eternal hope on which we build. So uh no, very, very good point. One last thing, uh, Frank, going back to Lisa's talk. Uh which uh, she she used this phrase that church is a place to lament right now i i'm a bit of a marketeer right i do business i do i do marketing if you were to say to me matt you should have a place to crowd church a place to lament as your tagline doesn't roll off the tongue really does it doesn't sound that exciting but actually actually, i wrote it down as she said it because i thought well goodness me um, this is actually said. Lament is a prayer uh, in pain that leads to trust. And again, I thought of Esther's story because she talked about praying a lot in pain that ultimately led to trust. Um, I, I don't know. I that I thought was fantastic actually, and um, I, I thought, oh, good on you, Lisa, for saying that because that's actually quite an important thing. Um, well. I I don't know if you think the same uh, with your experience, but I just wanted to just re-emphasise the point that Lisa said.
1: I I think there's something about lament, which is, it's acknowledgement, isn't it? It's acknowledging that you're feeling horrible, and it's expressing it. And sometimes we need to express it um, very powerfully. No, we need to cry, we need to weep, we need to be angry. Uh, But we also need to know, within that, it's the safe place, because God... God wants to know all about our emotions. So it doesn't mm. phase God if we're upset, if we're angry, if we cry or we shout. That's what he understands about us. And often in those moments, He we can connect more powerfully with God. And I think there's a, there's a, a part of us as humans that we we need to know the truth. and And that truth is right at the core of our being. And often in those times, people will say somehow something changed within me. And I feel that's the Holy Spirit. I think the Mm. Holy Spirit, obviously he works with Christians, but I think he works for people who don't consciously know him. And yet he will often rescue them and he will Mm. get them at that point where they're lowest and and hold them until they can, if you like, they're coming down and they turn the corner and they start to come up. He gets them when they're at rock bottom Mm. and holds them until they start to come up. So yeah, I think... I think lamenting, uh, being real, acknowledging, expressing is really, really important.
0: And you can, I mean, you've mentioned this, Annalisa did, you can do all of that to God in your prayer times, right? God God doesn't need a sanctified prayer. He doesn't need you to to, to watch your P's and Q's and, and all that sort of stuff. He, he's quite happy that you shout, you scream, you you holler and mm. and be real, right?
1: Yes, absolutely. He wants reality, actually. Yeah, wasn't it? You know, he said he said in the temple, didn't he? I see all these people making wonderful prayers, and was it the widow who said, "Lord, please accept my gift." She put in a quarter of a penny, but he was totally thrilled with that and her humbleness. You know, so God wants reality. He doesn't. He's not bothered about big words, is it?
0: no he's not and he's not bothered about those kind of traditions either he says your traditions have made the word of god of no effect and it's that kind of we become so captivated in the tradition that we forget actually god is a god of relationship and we can be totally real with him as a result you know and and, and work with that um uh i think what we'll do is we'll end conversation street there i'm aware of time thank you for your comments uh, nicola just going through them here uh, Dave said, listening to Lisa, I'm reminded of Psalm 147, verse 3. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Uh, it was very true testimony of God. And uh, Nicholas said, she got a dog a few weeks ago, uh, and the dog has helped her to do so much more. In fact, has been able to reduce the antidepressants with the help uh, of yeah. her doctor. And that's quite an interesting thing, isn't it? That yeah. a doctor can tonight, with it. Very powerful. Is that something actually you've seen a lot, people sort of getting pets and it brings that companionship maybe that we're, we're looking for?
1: Yeah, I think it it's your focus, doesn't it? It's, mm. it's um, a dog responds to love without, without demanding a lot. So for someone who's, who's got very into themselves, it, it, the dog or a pet demands that they, they, they leave that part of them and they give part of themselves to the pet. It demands that they have to go out of the house, great. Mm. And often when they're walking, you know, who do you meet when you're walking your dog? Well, the dog walker. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and dog walkers are a very friendly bunch, aren't they? And all of a yeah. sudden, you get yeah. a connection that wasn't there. So I think it's fabulous. And also, I think the need for a connection to nature. You know, where do you walk your dog? Mm. It's in the park, isn't it, or in the countryside, and you've mm. got connection to nature as well. Um, and that's how we designed as humans, isn't it? We need that connection
0: yeah totally It's I love this because not only are we are talking about verses from the Bible but we're, God is a hugely practical God isn't he and uh, giving us animals actually helps our mental well-being I think it's quite an important thing uh, yes. Matt Crew says um, you obviously mentioned you were 64 Frank because he said I've got when I'm 64 stuck in my head now <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but he also said if you're struggling to uh, reach out to a health professional get in contact with charities like Samaritan or Mind you are not alone and I think that's a good place to end because you're not alone um, No, absolutely uh, not. not alone at all and God never leaves us nor forsakes us um, it does say that in scripture Frank thank you so much for joining us today uh, been... no it's been brilliant uh, let me tell the good folks what is going to happen next week so uh, next week on Crowd Church we are asking what does the Bible say about itself it will be the last for now because we may revisit this Uh, the last what does the bible say about topic next week the week after that we are starting a brand new series called origin where we look at the origins of the christian faith how it all began starting off with the gospel of john quickly going through the story of jesus and deep diving into a book called acts which shows what happens with the early church it's going to be phenomenal Uh, if you are a member of frontline or you're a member of crowd church uh and you would like one of these do let us know it's called devotions um and it's basically a journey through john's gospel and acts which we'll be using uh in our conversations don't worry if you don't have one because we're going to put it all on social media that's just the way we rock and roll here at crowd uh but if you would like one do get in touch and let us know we'll quite happily uh arrange for one of those to go out to you um yeah just let us know so Matt said "Here, what's happening next week. I've answered that question, Matt. Yes, I have. Uh, so we've got Prince Thomas asking, what does the Bible say about itself? Do come and join us for that. 6 p.m. here in the UK. Uh, that's 1 p.m. Eastern. We will be live streaming out. Um, I would love to tell you who's hosting, but I genuinely can't remember. <laughs> that's how prepared I am on my first week back after four weeks uh, R&R. Uh, so we are going to end the live stream. The way we do that is we are just going to play some worship music. Uh, sing along if you'd like to carry on the conversations uh, in the comments if you'd like to join in there Uh, but thank you so much for being with us Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure frank also to chat with you about this really appreciate you coming and sharing your insights and thoughts it goes without saying uh, let me put the website on the screen here Uh, if you are are struggling or would like to reach out to somebody or just want to connect with somebody you can obviously reach out to us here at crowd church www.crowd.church is our website or you can find us on social media at crowdchurch and you can message us on there. We would love to hear from you. Uh, so, I think I've covered everything, Frank. So, uh, any final words from you, my good sir?
1: Um, no, it's just been good to be here. And um, remember, we need to be resilient and we need to maintain our hope. That's, that's where it comes from, good mental health.
0: Absolutely. Fair play. And on that, we're going to end the live stream Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, been a real privilege. Bye for now. See you next week. God bless.
3: How deep the Father's love for us? How vast beyond all measure? That He should give His own. His treasure, how great the pain of searing loss! The father turns his face away as wounds which mar the true.